Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Pastor Mario and Mary Pengu uh, visiting today with us. Uh, for those that don't know Pastor Mario, he's the uh, pastor of C3 um, Liverpool. And as Dan has already said, he was uh, the youth pastor here for many years. He uh, was my youth pastor as well. He's been an assistant pastor here at the church. And um, uh, he's a great man of God, passionate about the kingdom of God. And I've learned uh, over the years, worked alongside of him. We had a lot of great memories. Uh, nearly killed me a few times, but that's another story. And uh, But I always was uh, impacted by his passion, his sacrificial passion for the kingdom of God, uh, willing to give everything for God's kingdom and certainly impacted us and many of us uh, for, for many years and it's a real privilege to have him with us today. So I want you to give him a really, really big welcome uh, as he comes this morning to share the word. Amen. Good morning, church. You well? Fantastic. Well, Dan, um, not only was he a youth pastor, I was your Sunday school teacher as well. <laughs> you weren't my favourite student, that's for sure. Where is he? Where's Dan? He's got, there you are at the back. Uh, really amazing to see you here on the stage this morning. God's good. God's good, right? Amen. Amen. Well, um, my prayer every time that um, someone speaks in church or I speak, that you get a God moment, that God gives you a word that you're able to take with you. Um, sometimes we think we need to have incredible revelations, but you know what? They're good, but you know what? I really believe it's a God moment that changes many things in our life. One touch of God in our life and changes things. So I'm going to share a message to you which is... Um, Probably from my heart. And so uh, I take after my dad, who was a big sook, so <laughs> he's no longer with us. He's probably standing in heaven looking down and going, There's, that's my boy. He's about to cry. Um, but I, I believe that um, if you take this message this morning, it's going to speak to your heart. It's going to change some things. And the title of my message this morning is The Making of a Masterpiece. Um, you probably can tell that I'm very artistic by looking at me. Um, you probably can tell that I've got a flair. Um, I'm good with paint, I'm good with crayons, I'm good with pencils. In fact, I'm not good at any of those things. Um, but as I'm getting older, uh, I always thought that possibly it's good to get a bit of culture in me. And so the last couple of years, well last year, I actually went to an art gallery or two art galleries in the one year, which was amazing because I've never, ever been to an art gallery, ever. Um, we live in Sydney, so uh, Canberra is not that far away. And I love visiting Canberra because it's, it's sort of my kind of city. Not too much happens. And uh, there's a lot of nice buildings around the place. Nice political scene, which I love politics. But the most important thing about visiting Canberra is that you get to see so many, go to so many places, and it doesn't cost you anything. So you can go to the old 
Parliament House and you walk through the building, you walk through all the rooms where the Prime Minister used to sit. You go through his, you know, his ensuite. It's just amazing. It didn't cost you anything. You can go to the National Gallery and I loved it because it didn't cost us anything. It's my kind of place. You go somewhere and it doesn't cost you anything. And while we were at the art gallery, you know, um, so many works of art, obviously. Some of them are amazing because you stand back and you look at them and you go, like, wow, that's absolutely amazing. How skilled are these people? You could tell there was something special about them. Then you would look at other art, pieces of art and you, you left wondering, why were they ever hanging on that wall? There's no shape, no form, nothing appealing. Obviously, I'm not an art critic, so therefore I'm probably not qualified to have an opinion on those works of art. But there was one piece, which is it's quite a large piece, and if you've gone to the, the art gallery in Canberra, you, it's, it's quite a big piece of artwork. And I think there's two pieces of artwork in the art gallery where there's actually security there. So there's a red infrared beam that you cross over and the alarm goes off and the security guy arrests you and throws you in prison. Um, and this piece of art was painted by Jackson Pollock. It's a large piece of canvas, large work of art. And it was bought by the art gallery in 1973 for a record $1.3 million. That time, $1.3 million is a lot of money. Now, I don't know if you're my age, you probably remember the controversy that it created. The majority of people thought, when they looked at that painting, anybody could paint such a painting. Because it's like, just colours splashed everywhere. People felt that they got ripped off. And I, I thought, maybe we have it on the screen this morning, so we can put it up. How many people reckon if, they, if I gave you some canvas and some paint, you could have a go at doing something like that? I, I reckon I could. Because it's just like, you just get the blue and white and you squiggle it everywhere and put it in a can. You put a hole in the can and just let the can run everywhere. I reckon I could have a go at that. It's interesting that the current valuation of this piece of art is worth over 350 million dollars. The trouble is I reckon I could do that but my name is not Jackson Pollock. <laughs> I don't think anybody could have predicted in 1973 that in 2019 it'd be valued over 350000 Last year Mary and I had the privilege of being invited once again to a dinner at the, the uh, art gallery in Sydney. And uh, we went for a dinner there, but we also had the privilege of looking at um, uh, the Archibald Prize. And there were paintings everywhere. It was amazing because when you went up close to some of them, when you looked at them, you thought like, this is like a photograph. They were amazing. And you knew exactly who it was that they had painted. And then others, you went up and looked at them and you had no idea who they were. So you had to read, you had to read underneath the label who it was representing. Like I said, I'm not an art critic or an art blogger or really have no artistic flair at all. But I, I believe that a work of art, when you look at it, it gives the observer a bit of perspective or insight 
in the life of the artist. Some works of art, you, you're able to stand back and you marvel. They seem brilliant. They seem alive. The artwork draws you in. You're awestruck. And some you stand back and wonder. You wonder what, what was going on in their life at that moment. What were they thinking when they were painting this? What were they thinking about? What was going on in their world at the time? I've got a couple of other pieces of art that maybe we can put up at the moment and you can have a look at it. You, you look at that, you look at these pieces of art and you go like, what's going on? What was happening in their world? And these are not the darkest pieces of art around because if you look at some of the dark pieces of art, some of them are quite disturbing when you look at them and you think like, how could someone come up with such a, a painting? What were they trying to depict? What were they trying to say? Some paintings look like they were being perfected. In fact, if you walk through the art gallery, you, you look at it and go like, well, this, has got, th this must be a once-off. They just, they started, they painted this thing, and there it is. But in fact, sometimes it's not like that. They, they have four, five, six goes at it, and then you see the finished product. And then there's some works of art that looks like they started somewhere with a bit of splash of paint over it, and the artwork developed over time. The stroke here, a colour there, and at the end there's a product that we look at, but it, it was a progression. Sometimes I believe there's, there's a work of art, the, the, the painter starts painting and he rips it up and says, look, I'll start all over again. I've never really painted too much. Um, most of my painting is like stick. You know, I do a cat and then I look at it and I go like, no, that's not good. I'm not very good at it at all. As I was thinking about artwork and thinking about these massive, beautiful pieces of art, some really beautiful, some disturbing, I look at it this way, that our life is really like a painter. We have one piece of canvas to paint on. We're given some paint and we start splashing some colours on the canvas. The trouble is that we only get one shot at it. One piece of canvas, one life, that's all we get. One piece of work to tell everybody what we're really all about. One piece of canvas that people were going to look at and remember us by. We only get one shot at life. No one has ever come back to us and said, hey, by the way, um, I've been here before. I know you, sometimes you may find somebody like that, but we straight away think like, no, this person's not in their right mind. Generally, no one's come back and says, by the way, I messed up the first life, I'm back again, and I'm just doing, trying to, this time I'm going to do better. We only get one shot at life. We only get one piece of canvas in this life. We get one shot at it. There's no dress rehearsal. I, I wish I knew now, when I was 20 years old, there'd be so many things that I'll do differently. I wish that somehow we, there was a, a, you know, just a practice to life. But there's no real practice to life. We get one shot at it. My, my question to us today is this, that when you pass, what are you going to be remembered by? What will they, when they look at your life and they survey your life's contribution, what are people going to say about you? It's gone awfully quiet. 
I don't want to be morbid this morning. But, you know, most times people never ask themselves the question, what is going to be my life's contribution? What are people going to say about me when I pass? I've done many funerals and when, people, some, when some people pass, people are inconsolable, they're crying, hearts are broken. Because they'll be remembered for their friendliness, their good humour, their achievements, the type of person that passed. And, and yet there's some funerals that I've done that virtually no one has even showed up. There's no one to cry for them. There's no one to attend their funeral. And that's really, really sad. My question to us today, this morning, is that what will they remember you by? I believe we've all been given a blank canvas and we get shot, one shot at painting our life stories. And then when others are going to come to reflect on our life story, my question is this, will they be awestruck? Will they be amazed? Will they be inspired? Or they, will they step back and wonder what went wrong? And I believe this morning that no matter how your canvas or your life canvas is looking at the moment, maybe there's been some mispaint strokes. You know, you, you, you put a stroke down on the canvas, you go, oh, I made a mistake, and you get the rubber and rub it out or smudge it out. Maybe you're a bit like me and, and, and your life picture is, looks a little bit messy. Sometimes the canvas we're painting looks a little bit dark and a little bit confusing. Maybe you're feeling that, hey, I really have no idea what I'm painting. I don't even know if it's going to be worthwhile, let alone someone's going to say after I pass, what a work of art, what a masterpiece. You may have felt like you've experienced a lot of misstrokes, but I, I don't know about you, I, I look and say, I've made so many mistakes and so many misstrokes and should have done that better and should have done the other thing better and and, and that's one side of me. And then the other side of me is saying, hey, you've made all these stuff-ups. But there's something better in you. There's something good in you. There's something that can rise up over the situation. Sometimes failures seem to be a normal part of life. And sometimes it seems like things aren't turning out right. But your gut inside of you that says, hey... Possibly there's a change on the way. You, you're feeling, you, you, you really want, you're aspiring for the best. And you're saying to yourself, I'm better than this. I say to myself, I'm better than this. What I just did, I'm better than this. I could do that better. Sometimes I think like the best is just around the corner. Uh, I'm just turned 59 and I'm going, the best is just around the corner. <laughs> it's just around the corner. Sometimes, despite all my stuff-ups and the missteps and the failures and the bad habits, I feel that the best me is in there somewhere. The genius me is locked away. Finally, could find the key to let him loose. And some people try some go to counselling to try and unlock their better self. That's a good start. Some try meditation. Might help. Some say, I, I, I'm just going to try some self-help books and read stuff and listen to stuff. Might help. 
Some say, oh, I just need to find the right mentor that's going to help me. And we can go on and on and on. And people try all sorts of things to unlock their better self. No matter what method or avenue people try, they're all methods or ways to try to get the good that's inside of us to be seen on the outside. Often it's about trying to free us from our past. Sometimes our past is not all that good and we want to be set free from it. Sometimes it's about healing from our past. A lot of hurt and pain and stuff that's happened in our life. We finally could be healed from it. Sometimes it's about trying to get us to believe in ourselves and believing that we do have a future. Now I want to tell you a story this morning that in so many ways is similar to our story. Because when you look at biblical history and when you look at the men and women that God used, we're not too dissimilar in so many ways. We all get a little messed up. Sometimes we have epic failures. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just my wife, she put her hand up. I saw her hand go up. Sometimes we look at our decisions of the past and say, how, how dumb was I? Anybody here? Uh, am I the only person in this room? I know you're all with me in spirit. But having said that, we know that our best is there somewhere. But how do we unlock our best? There's a guy called Stephen. Book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 17 35. Um, I look at his life and I go like, wow, this guy got one shot at preaching a sermon. One. Preach one sermon. And then he got stoned. With rocks. But he basically, in one sermon, presents the whole history of Israel leading up to Jesus. And I'm going to take a small portion out of his sermon. Found in Acts chapter 7, verse 17 to 35. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Verse 17. As the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. And at that time, Moses was born. A beautiful child in God's eyes. I don't know if you've ever seen that. A beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had... When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was powerful in both speech and actions. And one day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, 
You are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us? He asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and I've heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. So God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and saviour. I read the story of Moses as was described by Stephen because the story of Moses reminds us that God does not need to look for a hero or courageous people, or perfect people, or men of valor to use. He loves, he specializes in using ordinary people. He uses messed up people. He uses broken people. He used people who have been washed up. People who feel like their best time is behind them and their past failures are too great and therefore they're destined for more future of obscurity and failure. God uses those kind of people. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes people feel that they have way too much baggage to be any good for anybody, let alone be good for God. We all tend to believe that we go through, if you go through life and you go through the worst of life, you can never come out the other side looking the best. You can't go through a mess, hit a disaster, experience failure, and then feel like you can carry on as if you've never messed up. Look at the life of Moses. He was saved by God, educated by Pharaoh, and then he knows that he has a calling of God over his life to help the people of God. And he takes matters in his own hands, kills an Egyptian, his own people reject him, and he runs and hides in the desert for 40 years. Afraid, dejected, and probably felt he had missed his calling. 40 years Back of the desert looking after sheep. I don't know about you, but most times when I drive around Australia and the sheep out there, I don't see any pastors or anyone looking after them. They sort of take care of themselves. But in biblical times, they would be there to make sure they fend off the, the, the thief and all that sort of stuff. But I, I would guarantee that he had a lot of time where he was just sitting by himself, thinking... 
the events that had transpired in his life. And in the desert, how could he ever believe that he was still destined for doing something great? He had spent 40 years in, in, in Egypt as a son of Egypt and then spent 40 years hiding in a desert. Could he still believe that he was destined for greatness? Can you believe this morning that no matter what has transpired to this very point, to this moment, that you're still destined for God's greatness? God needed something to happen to, for his people. His people, he, he heard their cry. He says, I must do something for my people. Their future was connected with the life of Moses, who'd been a failure, washed up, forgotten, hiding. And God sees things completely di- different. He looks, at, he looks at the people of Israel, and looks at washed up Moses, and he connects the two together. He says their future is completely connected to the future of Moses. See, when God sees broken people, when God sees people that need rescuing, when God sees a lost generation, God wants, God wants to see something happen and he comes looking for us to do the something. I, I, it's tragic, the events that have happened last week in New Zealand. And, and I, I would pray that God consoles those people that lost loved ones. And I pray for our leaders and I pray for our governments that they will, will be able to deal with the situation properly. But we we got to be honest. I don't think it's going to be the last time things like that are going to happen. I don't think it's the last time that someone in, in their life is going to be in a complete mess and a complete failure and things that have... That you say, well, how are they going to rise up from that? And God looks at those people and says, well, I want something to happen to those people. I want something good to happen to those people. And he goes looking for people like you and me to do the something. There's a generation of people who rely on you for something to happen. See, sometimes we feel that God is just interested and he's concerned about just my life. But if we could see the big picture, God is concerned about what happens in my life because he knows that my life is connected to so many other people that my life can have an influence and be a testimony, and be someone that reaches out to them. And that's what God is doing with Moses. The freedom of the people of Israel depended on Moses responding to the call of God. But too often we disqualify ourselves because of our past failures. The mess that we find ourselves in. We get wrapped up in our own failure, and we feel we've got absolutely nothing to offer. God saw a generation of people crying out, God, help us. God, help us. Set us free. And the very man that they had rejected, God says, no, Moses, you messed up. But I'm selecting you. Moses, I call you. The very people that had disqualified him said, who made you ruler over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Yet all along God had orchestrated Moses to be the deliverer of his people. 
And I believe God has orchestrated for us to be the one who steps in the gap for people that are wrapped up in a mess. Even though Moses had wasted the better half of probably 80 years, God still looked at him and said, Moses, you can do something. I I want you to know this morning that God has, has orchestrated you, me, us together, to be in partnership with him that will usher a better future, not just for us, not just for me, but for those people that are in our world. How many people have read Shakespeare? Probably Ian here. That's the only one. I haven't read Shakespeare. I knew you could tell, eh? (laughs) Shakespeare said, some are born great. He said, some achieve greatness. And then he said, some have greatness thrusted upon them. I won't get you to put up your hand if you fall in the first category. Because we probably already know who they are in our midst, that they think they're great. (laughs) Some achieve greatness. You probably hang out. You hung out with some of those people. They're always talking about the things that they've done. Well, I, I want you to know I don't fall in the first category. Not born great, even though Pengwe is a great name. I went to Italy last year and Pengwe has its own wine company, which was really good. A company called Pengwe. There was an undertaker in the town too called Penguin. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was great, but obviously they're making a lot of money. So I, I don't think I'm born great. I don't think I've achieved greatness. But I, I, I truly believe that all of us could fall in the third category where greatness is thrusted upon us. So my question to you this morning is, are you willing to have greatness thrusted upon you? See, it's not what you're born with that dictates what you achieve with your life. Because there's some people that are born with incredible intelligence, giftings, and yet they waste their life away. And then others that seem to come from nowhere. No one would have ever predicted that the quietest kid in the class that wasn't too good at maths or English, was able to achieve what they did with their life. See, it it really doesn't matter how many degrees you have that determine what you will achieve in life because some of the most intelligent people really don't achieve much and they waste their life. I believe it's all about your willingness and my willingness to allow God's greatness to be thrusted upon us. See, God took up, he took a washed up, beaten up, has been Moses. 
His canvas was not looking too well. Can you just imagine if he had been painting his canvas? Probably in one section there would be, you know, the glory, the former glory days living in, in Pharaoh's palace. So there's a bit of that. And maybe there's a depiction of the people of Israel. And then there's the moment where he takes matters in his own, own hands and he kills somebody. And then there's 40 years of sheep. He'd be depicting on their wool, a lot of manure, a lot of smell. He'd be, I think his canvas would be full of things that hadn't gone right. But God takes him out of obscurity and he says, hey, your canvas hasn't been painted yet. We're going to turn all those things around. And Stephen remembers him in verse 20. He says, as one who was well-pleasing to God, he was beautiful in God's eyes. See, we can either settle for mediocre, settle for ordinary, or feel like our life has already been spent and it's too late and I've got nothing more to offer. Or you can let God's greatness be thrusted on your life and see a transformation to the canvas that you're painting. That maybe even at the moment, it's depicting brokenness, dark, troubled days, failure, disconnection, dysfunction, and seeing being transformed into a new image, a new painting, a masterpiece. When others are going to put up the canvas of your life and they're going to look at it and they can be able to say, truly God's greatness was thrusted upon. See, God wants to turn our mess, and if we're honest, without God we're pretty much messed up. And I would like to say that every day of my life has been living for God and I've never messed up, but if I'm truly honest, say, I've messed up. We've messed up. Been time and time again when we've messed up. And God, what he wants to do is like, hey, that's okay, Mario. I'm going to turn that mess into a message. I'm going to turn your messy canvas and turn it into a masterpiece of great value. See, God wants to take our washed up life and make it a testimony of his grace and power that if we would let his greatness be thrusted on you, as God said about Moses, he would say, you're beautiful. God said to Moses, I'm sending you. I'll be with you. And take Aaron to be with you. I don't have time to go into that whole scenario of him questioning God and feeling like, God, you got it wrong. I'm not the right man. And his insecurities have stepped in and his fear factor of going back to the people that rejected him, all those things. And, all, you know, it was quite a lengthy discussion between him and God. You know, sometimes our discussions with God don't go for half an hour or an hour. They go for years where we're running away from what God wants to do in our life. If I, if I can encourage you and leave you with something to take this morning, 
Give God all your success and all your failures. Surrendering is all about that. It's not just presenting the best part of you. It's presenting all of you. It's not presenting, look what I've done for you, God. It's also presenting, look how I've messed up, God. It's presenting all of us. And then you let his greatness be thrusted on you because he's about to orchestrate something good out of everything good or bad that has happened in our life. Give him your all. Let his greatness be thrusted on you. And then the third thing is find the errands of your life. Because we all need an Aaron in our life. We, we need an Aaron that's going to come and, 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 and not just going to tell us what we hear, what we want to hear. You know, we, we love having those friends where we open up our heart and they go, oh, you're poor Mario, I feel sorry for you. You're a good man. I know these people, they, they're awful. You're, you're a really nice person. We want the Aaron's that are going to come in our life and say, hey, Mario, I love you. You stuffed up bad, man. You need to make things right. We need the errands in our life. Our journey is never a journey on our own. Our journey is we've been brought into a family. We're part of God's family. We don't do life on our own. We do it with running buddies. We do it with people who hold us accountable. That they don't just agree with us every time we say something. They bring clarity into our life and into our world. Give God your all, success and failures, the things that look good and the things that are absolutely messy, and the things that sometimes we even we, we feel like shameful to actually say. Bring it all to God, then let his greatness be thrusted on you because he's going to orchestrate something good. That requires humility. Say, God, here I am. I'm messed up. I need you. And then find the errands of your life in, in your life who helps you. Be running buddies. Ephesians 2.10 in the New Living Translation says this, and I love it, because it fits in with the message. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ. So we can do good things he planned long ago. We are God's masterpiece. Maybe you feel a little bit washed out this morning. Maybe your failures are staring you down. Maybe there's voices in your head that tell you that you're destined for more of the same, more failure. But also know that deep within, there's the voice of the Holy Spirit that reassures you that God hasn't finished with you yet. I want you to stand. I desperately want God's greatness to be thrusted upon me. I want that God's greatness will be thrusted on each and every one of us in this place this morning. I want the canvas of your life to be a representation of God's goodness and God's grace. 
when we pass from this life. I want the canvas of our life to be a testimony. Be a story that speaks loud. Speaks loud that God is the one who took our mess, took our failures, took the enormous blunders of our life, and he turned them all around. He took that canvas that was dark, broken, dysfunctional. We didn't have any form, just spoke of brokenness and failure. And God adds his color, begins to turn our life around and says, it's, it's, it's not to be wasted. I'm going to use it. He turns our life into a masterpiece. And God looking at Moses, he stands back, reviews his canvas out of the words of Stephen. And Moses was beautiful. God saw him as beautiful. I want God to stand back and look at your life's canvas. So it's beautiful. I want them, my children, stand back and look at my life's canvas and say, God was good. I want the people in my world to be able to look back at my canvas and not see a canvas that depicts brokenness and despair and no hope, but see a canvas that says, well, once upon a time it was broken and there was hopelessness and, and it was dark, but look what God has done. In him and through them. That'll be a masterpiece. Masterpiece that reflects God's greatness, God's goodness, God's love, and God's belief that He can take us as we are, transform us. Take the mess of our life, take the, the hurts of our life and the pain and use it for his glory so that we too can do something for those that are broken. I want you to bow your heads. I just want to pray for you this morning. Get the worship team to come up and I'm going to hand back to Pastor Joe this morning. I want to pray this morning for all of us in this place, from, from me up the front right to the very back. That we would never get so hung up about the things that have gone wrong and stay there. And lose hope. Say, say to yourself, I'm a failure. But we'll be able to hand that over to God this morning and hand it to Him and say, God, this is who I am. What I've done, this is 
what's not right, this is what's not working. Hand it to him. And then let his let his greatness be thrusted on you. Let his love be thrusted on you. Let his mercy be thrusted on you. Close our eyes. Father, we we're conscious this morning of your goodness. That you love us. We're conscious of the fact that you know everything about every single one of us in this place this morning. We surrender our all to you as we are. We surrender to you our failures. We surrender to you our brokenness. We surrender to you our our rotten thinking. We surrender to you our helplessness. Father, we can't do anything with that, but in your hands you can turn it all around. With that stuff, Lord, all we do is dig a bigger hole for ourselves, Father. But if we hand it to you and be courageous to hand it to you, Father, you'll turn it all around. Use it for your glory. Thrust your greatness on each and every one of us in this place. So that when we pass from this life, You would look at it and say, beautiful, beautiful, it's a masterpiece. Make each and every one of us in this place a masterpiece for your glory. In Jesus' name.